Well, welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And we have Judy Wilkins-Smith joining us. And you're in Austin, is that right? I'm in Tyler, which is actually southeast of Dallas. Southeast of Dallas. And Mm -hmm. she has written a new book called Decoding Your Emotional Blueprint, A Powerful Guide to Transformation Through uh, Disentangling Multigenerational Patterns. Really interesting because when I did my course in spiritual psychology, I did a histogram. And the histogram was quite revealing about how things repeat themselves in patterns. Uh, we're going to be talking about that this morning with her, but I'm going to let my listeners know a little bit about you, Judy. Um, she's highly regarded organizational individual and family pattern expert, a systemic executive coach, trainer, facilitator, thought partner, and leadership conference and motivational speaker. She helps individuals and groups end limiting cycles and reframe challenges into lasting breakthroughs and peak performances. And so she really does help people transform themselves and get unstuck. And so if you want to learn more about her, just go to Judy Wilkins, W-I-L-K-I-N-S hyphen smith.com. There you can learn more about her, her programs, her events, and what she's up to. What's a pleasure having you on because, you know, I know people might think about this in the back of their mind, but it's not in the forefront of their mind frequently. And it takes somebody like you with your expertise to actually bring it back up so that they have an opportunity to work with it, right? Really engage with what's going on. How did I get these patterns? Um, How can I break these patterns? And, you know, you, in the introduction of the book, you state one idea, one word um, can keep you stuck. And that is true. Um, Another idea, a new word uh, can set you free. Your minds are that powerful. That's how powerful the language is that we speak to ourselves. It's potent. And but but the brains are flexible. And that's the good thing. Um, You say we are never a victim of our world and there is always something we can do. Um, How does our emotional DNA play a role in the patterns of decisions, thoughts, feelings, actions, and reactions we have daily? Yeah, so thank you. So what we know is you inherit your physical DNA, but what most people don't realize is you also inherit those patterns of thoughts, feelings, actions, inactions, And that's your emotional DNA. And it's really, really strong stuff. It's the stuff that will determine whether you will or won't, can or can't make money, will or won't, can or can't have successful relationships. In fact, it determines just about everything in your life. Now, the interesting piece of that is it's often based on an event that happened way before you, maybe two or three generations ago. And we know that as soon as there's an event, a significant event for you, you have a reaction to it. You have a reaction that causes thoughts and it causes feelings and then it causes actions. And before you know it, your brain has taught your body, this is the new truth. And so it becomes. Well, that also holds true through the generation. So you will have somebody who says, you see, you work, you work, you work, along comes a great depression, you lose everything. There's no point in, in saving money. Well, what we pick up is don't save money. That echoes down through the generations and suddenly you really would like to have a nest egg. You'd like to have a bigger home. You'd like to feel safe. 
and you don't understand why you keep telling yourself, yes, but don't save money. Well, it's that pesky little beast that's come tickling down because it means that something wasn't completed there. Grandfather simply said, don't save money, but he didn't say why. And, and he didn't talk about what had happened. And so that echoes down waiting for you to see it and go, but that's not working for me. And understand that that came, that came down so that you could change it into something remarkable that's totally usable. So what this is, is it's a whole series of doors and keys. Once you understand the language and the thoughts, the patterns, the feelings, the actions, these are all waiting for you to turn them into success, turn them into fulfillment. So it's not that they're there to bug you. It's that they're there to invite you or ignite you. I like the way you turn that around because the reality is I think a lot of people see those patterns. They have a difficult time breaking them. They don't always know where they came from. You call them these old patterns, but they're there. And it's just like creating a new habit, right? Right. Um, people have to work at a new habit. You want to be slim, you have to eat less, you have to exercise more. It's a new habit. It's something that you weren't doing. But you're suggesting, and I think this is the fascinating part, is that these multi-generational patterns and thoughts and beliefs have actually transferred. Now, you state that from the time we're conceived until long after we die, we're part of a multi-generational family system that goes back to the dawn of humanity. Um, I have a feeling some of the listeners have a hard time maybe understanding that, but I know you have scientific evidence that you can talk about. You also state we're part of a social system that's thousands of years in the making. If this is part of our emotional DNA, let's just assume that you have a lot of naysayers out there, if, because they don't know, they don't know. Um, how do we identify and work with changing the things that are not serving us and acknowledging those things that are serving us? So <clears throat> there's a third point as well. It's not just changing or acknowledging, it's using. So first of all, changing it. We look at what's really, really, and often this is the way we evolve. It's so uncomfortable. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? So we know something has to change. When we really look at what it is that has to change for us, that's the pattern trying to stop. You can ask yourself things like, how do I feel? Um, how do I think? What am I telling myself about that? What do I make it mean about me and about others? Then ask yourself, did anybody else in the family have a similar pattern? So does it really belong to me? Or is it echoing through to me saying, hey, you can be the change agent? So that's the one piece. You look for what really irritates where you're always sad, mad, depressed, stuck, those are your patterns trying to stop and they came from somewhere. You don't exist in a vacuum. Even if you don't know who your family is, it's there. So that's the one piece. When you acknowledge it, you're finally giving it a place because we know in systems, anything you exclude happily hops down the, the generations going, see me, see me, see me until we give it its place. Then it no longer needs to be excluded and it can breathe. So that's when the pattern stops. But there are also pieces in your life where you go, you know, I really wish. So what I say to people is look at what really, really has you stuck. And then what is the flip side of that? What do you really, really wish in regard to that? And you said, um, yeah, you've got to form new habits. You've got to kind of work at it. That's the one piece. 
you've got to work at it in a way that the brain tells the body a story that it can believe. In other words, to change it, there are a couple of things. You want an elevated emotion like gratitude, kindness, joy, expectation, adventure, and you want that coupled to what it is, to, to your goal or the new pattern. Because the minute you couple those two, you're now so excited. Nothing in, in, on this world is going to stop you from getting what you want. And when, what it means is it bypasses, it pulls you past all of the old excuses and all of the old reasons for not doing anything because you're now focused here. And if you keep repeating that, you will get to where it is that you want to go. When you do that, it's not that you don't belong here anymore. It's that you've expanded the system. So you will always look at the other. And so that's when I say to people, they say, my terrible how you, mother. How would you uh, relate this? You know, I've actually been to classes with uh, David Hawking. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, you look at consciousness. And, you know, all of us are trying to, I wouldn't say all of us, but a lot of people are attempting to reach their highest human potential, sure. potential whatever that might be. But we all vibrate at a different level. So the vibratory level at which we're uh, emanating ourselves or coming out is different. And you're saying, well, if you're elated and you're exuberant and you have happiness, you can almost nothing will stop you. You're, you're unstoppable. I, and I would say that's true because that kind of energy is contagious, right? It's very contagious. Um, does this have... Uh, a strong connection, it's got to, um, between our elevated consciousness, working with the systemic work that you're talking about, and the constellations. Absolutely. And it also has a strong connection with neuroscience, because think about it. Let's, let's go back to money. You say, I've got none, I've got none. And then this side of you says, imagine if I had, I'd really like to do that piece. I want to go and save. I want to get financially literate. I'm going to be smart. I'm going to build that cash and the wealth. It's not that magically you're sitting on a sunbeam and it's floating in. It's that frontal cortex is now open and it's looking at, ah, oh, I can learn about you. I can. So it's pulling in what it needs. Now, the old pattern was we don't talk about money because it doesn't do well in our family. You're going, no, no, I see you. Let's talk about money and let's change the story in the family. So you're changing the narrative. You're changing the way that you look at money. The brain is changing the way it sees it. You're having these wins. And what happens is the, the body goes, oh, this is true. You're becoming more literate. We have a different situation here. So it's it's not that it's magic mushroom cloud. It's you're literally creating that. And Greg, it's exactly the same way as you say, I'm stupid. I'm useless. Can't do this. I'm hopeless. And you, you feel that in your body and your body says, yep, that's the truth. You can't do that. We create or co-create all the time. We say yes and no. This is learning to say yes and no consciously in an elevated manner. And so yeah. you rewire yeah. the brain. How is it, though, you know, and this is uh, uh, kind of a subject that you, I'm sure you can address. You, you run into people that are always victims of something. It's just like yes. next, it's next, it's next, it's yeah, yeah. next. There's always some trauma going on in their life. It's like, that's what they live. Right. Um, what, why is it that one, they're attracting that? And what belief patterns are they running around with 
that they need to transmute or actually transition uh, to move to a state of not having that. So when somebody comes to me and they're permanently in a state of victimhood, which is really a, a nasty place to be because it's what I call the big sleep. What I do is if they have knowledge, and this is why I love genealogy, if they have knowledge of their family system, many don't, but if they do, I'll say to them, where was the first big victim? Who was it? What is the big event in the family that, that created that, that victimhood? Because now it's rolling downhill to you. It's asking to be seen and changed. So where did it come from? Now, if you don't know, what we'll do is have a look at your life, your, your own timeline of your life, and see where did that first happen for you? What was happening in your life at the time? What did you tell yourself about that? What did you feel about that? What did you do about that? Because now we have a sense of the pattern that's begun to form. Where did those words come from? Where did you first say those words? Where did they come from? So it's looking at where did it come from and how is it inhabiting me? Once you look at that and you can say to the person or you can work with them and say, okay, that's where the victimhood came from. And so do you notice how every time something happens, you're just about to have that breakthrough and you hit a brick wall? That's like your dad or your grandfather. There's, a, there's an unconscious loyalty to that pattern that was formed because nobody spoke about it and drew it to conclusion. Nobody acknowledged it. So it became an exclusion and it's asking you to give it its place and re-hyphen member it into the system. And once you do that, it no longer needs to show up for you. Now you're free to do something else. Like a big matrix. That's the way I yep. look at it. Yeah. So Judy, if you would speak with our listeners about systemic work and the conscious of the consciousness of the system or conscious of the system, speak about the rules and regulations unique to each system and breaking free from the systemic trance so that our souls can evolve. And I'm, kind of in your case, you have these stepping stones. There's 25 of them, but you have stepping stones. These are one pages one, two. Uh, and for my listeners, you get the book. It's referenced on page 24 and 25. But speak with us if you would, because I think this is an important element of your book. And it is a way that you can help people um, transmute this. So ask me again exactly which one it is that you're asking me. Well, you, I, you, you speak about the systemic work. Okay, and, and the yeah. systemic trance. That's right. Yeah. You asked about the conscience. So yeah. the conscience of the system is the rules of the system. In other words, in your family, everybody has to be quiet and uh, introverted. That's how we function in this family. Well, okay, where'd that come from? Well, when great-grandfather was in, in Russia, if you raised your head, it got chopped. We learned to be quiet and introverted. That has now come all the way down. Then you come along and you go, yeah, these rules of staying quiet and introverted are really not who I am. And you're super unhappy. You look at it and you go, just, I can't do it. And, and you start to do things that are a little bit different. You're a little bit more of an extrovert. You're doing all of the, you're exuberant. What you would say is you're outside the conscience of the system because the conscience or the rules of the system are saying, no, 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 keep quiet, be introverted. But here's what we know. You know, those patterns we were talking about, the ones that want to stop and the ones that want to start. Mm -hmm. Well, the ones that want to stop, you're looking at that and going, 
introverted doesn't serve us anymore. It certainly doesn't serve me. I can't do what I'm doing, doing this pattern. I have to change. So, so now you have a struggle. Do I do like the family does? Because if I am, and if I do, mom says, you know, no, no, Greg, please, you know, really stop with the extroversion. And you go, okay. And you really, really want to be an extrovert, but you go, no, you know what? This feels so familiar. I'll just, I'll do that. And you're unhappy, but it's familiar. That's a systemic trance. You're doing something that isn't good for you because it's familiar and it keeps you safe. But a lot of growth happens at that point where you go, I can't do this anymore. Right. I'm an extrovert. I'm, I'm loud. I'm proud. I'm, I'm amazing. I can't do this. That's the, the, the pattern that's trying to emerge through you. That's the new pattern that's trying to start. And it's very important. It needs the old pattern. It needed that extra introverted family for you to go, uh-uh, here's my, my chapter. And, and the chapter that changes things is also a gift to the other. It's expanding the system. So each is in service of the other. Now, you know, you're talking about this on an individual level, and I want to take this to a next higher level. And that is that if you look at our world order today and you see what's being disrupted, everything across the world, absolutely, our, our political systems, our educational systems, um, our economic medical. Sy- medical systems, economic systems, and so on. It's almost like they're out of order trying to seek a new order, almost like what you are talking about at this individual level. Could you speak briefly about this disruption that's occurred and the equilibrium or balance we're attempting to find, but haven't found yet. Found yet, yeah. Or, you know, where it's going. Sure. So what you're talking about are meta systems. In other words, we've got big systems at the moment, the ones you discussed, and they know that something isn't including everybody. So it's trying to expand. And at the same time, the ones who are, may not be including are going not so fast because then I'm going to be excluded. What we haven't done yet is expand to where everybody has a sense of belonging. So there's, there's very much a polarization. You have to do it this way or you have to do it this way. And you have the haves and you have the have not. We haven't created a laddering system both laterally and vertically, that allows us to start stepping our way in. Here's here's the thing. When we want a handout, when we just want to receive things because our ancestors had a hard time, we're out of order. The minute we do that, we're trying to atone for what our ancestors did to someone else or we're trying to get from uh, somebody else because our ancestors were disadvantaged. You can't do that. So there's one of our big pieces. We're stepping out of order and trying to solve problems for others. You can't do that. What you can do is look and say, this didn't work and this didn't work. What do we do together that allows it to work differently in a way that everybody feels calm and can belong? So while we've got the polarized pieces showing us what's way out, we've got a whole lot of people in the middle waiting for us to say, can we just stop with the ultra this or the ultra that? Both sides, both ultras have to be included because if we exclude either, all you do is you get keep getting that ripple effect. Yeah. 
very good explanation of it. It's a very good grasp. It's a, it's a feeling I think that many people have and they don't know how to express it or how to deal with it, but they deal with it uh, by probably not even talking about it or on a daily basis doing nothing. Um, but it's, it's worth, uh, you know, it's worth our dialogue there about it. I appreciate it is, that. And, and, you know, when we do nothing, we get more of the same. Right. Um, I know I, I, back in South Africa, the, I, w- I, spoke, uh, I spoke English. And at the time, Afrikaans was the other language. But if you didn't speak Afrikaans, you were disadvantaged. Here was the thing, though. My parents taught me. You don't sit there and be a victim. You figure out what it is that you want and you figure out how you're going to get it. There is always a way. And I think that's something I carry with me. I don't expect somebody to come to me, but I do know that I can figure it out. And I love that process. If you tell me no, I'm going to go how? Now, the other thing that I learned working with systems is I won't, it's not about fighting. We talk a lot at the moment. We have very inflamed language. And we talk about fighting and rights and all of this sort of thing. It's not about fighting. It's about adding value. When I could add enough value, the system that that I was up against would look and go, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Come on in. So I learned if I wanted to advance, that was my job, nobody else's. Well, and and adding value always adds to the equation. And it's almost like the, the concept of infinity, right? We have to keep adding all the time. You're never going to get to the end of infinity. No, we don't. We we don't know how many universes exist out there. We don't know how many other globes are spinning with other souls just like us that are trying to do the same things. And so that puts it a a bit in perspective. And you said that it takes understanding the existing blueprint to create emotional DNA. How do we decode our DNA to break free and get unstuck from the patterns and language? that could be holding us back from finding our true selves. Because, you know, there's a lot of talk about true self. I'm not certain that many listeners, maybe even myself included, and I've done, you know, 25 years of personal growth work. You kind of look at what is true self because it's always evolving. I was just going to say, you know what a better explanation is the evolving self. Yeah. The evolving self. Yeah, I, I like that even more. Evolving self is even more resonant for me. I, I think, think because the discomfort, you know, I had an author on here not long ago. Let's talk about discomfort because we live in a society where other societies look at us and say, hey, you know, we really want you guys to be in discomfort. We want you guys to have it hard for a while, right? Like we have, but we don't have to claim that. My point is, is that... um that term, the author was talking about your growth. And here's the duality and the dichotomy. You can't have black without white. You can't have good without bad. Is that fact that he's saying discomfort creates that growth. Where would you sit on this with relation to this finding back and finding ourselves, finding our evolving self, which is really the question? What I would say is uh, he's right. From uh, The way I would put it is you've got to come out of the systemic trance. In other words, everybody in our family, whatever's, has a bad relationship. All the men go and the women are left alone. Okay, you can do that. How's that working for you? Mm-hmm. If you want something to really work for you, you've got to be willing to get beyond the systemic trance or 
the way that it is. That's not what we're here for. We're here for what's possible. And we start that, I mean, we're given that lesson as kids, as babies. A baby doesn't walk until it wants to. It has this, oh, you're doing that. I want to do that. I mean, so our wants are what pull us past the systemic trance. So when people say to me, we've been taught to not want, I'm, my brain goes, oh, no, want a lot. But don't just want it, do something about it. One new thought, one new feeling, one new action at a time. And you're going to find that the more you're willing to open your eyes, the more there is a really big interactive universe out there. And it's waiting for you to come play. Yeah. Well, it, it, I like what you're saying because the reality is that creates growth. And then growth, <clears throat> within growth, there's always opportunity. There's opportunity there to see things from a different perspective, from a different purview, from a different vantage point. You know, I'm not saying rose-colored glasses. I'm just saying that you're seeing things differently. And then you're able to kind of put the pieces together, the dots. I call it putting the dots together, right? And, you know, you speak about what you refer to as constellation, which is a facilitated three-dimensional process that enables you to see all parts, and again, this comes down to the dots of the issue, and the spatial relationship among the components, along with the various origins and impacts of the issue. Can you speak about those constellations and how we can better kind of see that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and then remind me, and let's come back to the suffering piece that we were touching on. So a constellation is indeed a 3D process. It's probably the most powerful part of all of this work. Um, people come to events to come and experience a constellation. It's that powerful because what it does is we sit down, I take a history, we look at the issue that, that you're wanting to deal with. We go into when that started for you, who else in the family, all of those pieces until we know who belongs in this issue. What are the components of this issue? Maybe it's mom, maybe it's dad, siblings, you, maybe an uncle. And so then what I say is, okay, pick someone in the, in the group, someone in the audience who can represent your father, someone to represent your mother, someone to represent your siblings, one for you, one for that uncle. And once they've selected those, I go, great. Now I want you to show me what that looks like in relationship to this issue. So Maybe it's all the women struggle with men or, or struggle to have a relationship. Show me what that looks like. And, and they will place mom over here and maybe grandmother over there and themselves over here. But what they do is they're giving me a spatial representation of how it is in their family. So then I can see who's distant, who's engaged, who's disengaged. Where are the lo hidden loyalties? Who's turned away? And what does that mean? Because I'll often ask, why is your father looking out there? Well, he never came. When he came back from the war, he was never the same. So I'll put a representative over there where he's looking. And often you'll see that representative move towards that space. And I'll ask, so he was in war, yes. He saw live action, yes. They didn't come back, yes. He hasn't completed. That's one of the reasons that we have a struggle here. There's where the men have disappeared. What's going on with the women? So by asking questions, 
And they suddenly start to remember, oh, well, we had this in the family and we had that in the family. And mom was never particularly engaged with us. Are there any miscarriages? Is there, was there anybody lost? Oh, she, she lost a child. And if we put a representative down, often the person will look at that child and say, was this before or after you? After me, but mom was never the same. Do you see where her attention was? Oh, so it wasn't me she wasn't looking at. No, she was looking here. So now they start to have different insights. I, I have a, so many. Uh, one, one person in particular who said to me, oh, my goodness, for 63 years, I've thought I was unlovable. I'm looking at the picture. I'm listening and remembering what my mom said to me. And I suddenly realized it had nothing to do with me. I'm lovable. What do I do with that? And so then we start looking at, so what is the issue that you're looking at? Well, I struggle to be a good leader or I struggle to have a relationship. Do you see that this was mom's struggle and maybe grandmother's struggle? And you really don't have to repeat that. You can acknowledge it and see what happened. And perhaps now you look at men a little differently. And there is invitation instead of, "Uh uh-oh, I know what's about to happen. So it's a very powerful 3D process. And what happens is because they're looking at it and they're hearing it, they're walking in it and they're maybe touching, suddenly they start to have these insights, a multi-sensory insight that becomes an embodied experience. And because it's the embodied experience, they have the aha moment and the rewiring of the brain and the body starts immediately. And so it's like the say, reenactment of a play. It, it really is. And yeah. so then it is. And, and they'll suddenly it. say, oh, my goodness, I'm not stupid. I'm really, and this wasn't my fault. And just saying this wasn't my fault is, so I can go and do that. And you can see them start turning already. And I said to them, so, so what are you going to go and do now? Well, I'm, I'm, I know there was always sadness in the family. I think I'm the joy. Does that feel right? Yes. Now they've just begun recoding that emotional DNA and they know what their purpose is and they know what their direction is. And that's because it's such a strong 3D um, piece. Well, it is a 3D and I can see how you set that up. Um, for somebody reading the book, I know you do these in your workshop, so it's a great way to do it. Um, And I will tell people she's got an upcoming workshop as well. And uh, you might want to get signed into that. If it isn't sold out, go to our website because that's a perfect opportunity. Or there'll be more opportunities for that because I think actually physically doing that or working with you to do that would be the best thing they could do. Now, you mentioned that systemic work and constellations may seem startling in their effectiveness, even disturbingly uncanny, just like you talked about. And there can be many credible scientific explanations from the fields of neuroscience, epigenetics, quantum physics, psycho uh, neuroimmunology, uh, breaking up what's happening. Can you discuss these scientific explanations? Because I think for the people out there that are a little more practical, scientific, when you have all those nice big words explaining all of those, uh, what I want to call it, fields of study, um, it's a, that's a pretty broad viewpoint of fields of study, which actually kind of prove this. Yes, absolutely. So if we start with something like epigenetics, epigenetics is about the gene expression. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what we know is that if there is a significant event, it creates an emotional imprint on the system. And that becomes a blueprint for generations of behavior. If you look at 9-11, that's the most recent one that they studied. They studied women's PTSD markers. 
And the, the women who'd been pregnant with children at the time had elevated PTSD markers, but so did the children. If you go back to the great Dutch hunger winter, there was a, an entire city in the Netherlands that was surrounded by the Nazis because they'd sympathized with the allies. And for three months, there was no food, no water. They existed on what was there. And what they did was they went in and tested those women, the women who'd been pregnant. And there were an assortment of eating disorders that they had, that the children had. But for four generations so far, those continued to show up. Now, are they reversible? If we were to look at them differently, if we were to study them systemically, might that change? It's entirely possible because don't forget, we're either operating by the um, biology of stress or by the biology of elevation. So the minute you activate the stress hormones, here we go, and this is what it does to the body, and it, it damages the body. The minute we activate the elevated ones, it starts to transform the body. So you, we might, that, you might be aware of the ACE studies, A-C-E. So, so Kaiser started that. It's a um, childhood experiences, um, but it they've literally proven that if they give you this test and it's through Kaiser, they've been do, working on this now for 20 years and they've studied thousands and thousands of people. They can actually tell based upon the way you answer those questions, your propensity to obesity, how much, how long you will live. Um, they have predictive indicators that are extremely accurate. Uh, I'm very accurate. I'm working with a doctor that actually came up with that. Gosh, um, I would Dr. love Brian. to meet them, I have to say, because that would be super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. They're called ACE, ACE. You might want to look that up, but they have then thus taken those questionnaires and that there's a lot of men and women that come into these clinics that are clinically obese and they're trying to remove it. But they, when they go to those childhood experiences, they can see why they were, they get to the root cause of it, and they really are able to lose much more weight. So, so I love that. Now, here's, here's where I, I go, yes, yes to the root cause, because if you don't have your root cause, you're going to keep repeating. Right. So now you've got the root cause and you can lose weight. But what I would say is the piece that we keep missing is, and then, and then. Right. So right. now I'm going to lose weight and then what? If you if somebody says to me, I've found out what it is that keeps the weight on, you know what? I want I want to run a marathon or I want to whatever it is, and then they have a concrete goal, but it it really excites them. It means that it helps both the weight loss and it starts to move them forward. So they're not going to start recidivism. Right. You don't get that cycle. So you really want to move it because. Even though you're fixing the one, you, we're missing that you can also transform or use that to transform and, and move to the next level. Well, let's talk about transformation. You have a chapter in the book called Practical Magic, a.k.a. Transformation. Speak with our listeners about the differences between magic and transformation and why waiting on the mountainside for the bolt of lightning is that's going to come out and strike and not inside where the real transformation occurs. In other words, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I'm going to be able to transform like that. It's just, boom, I'm going to see this stroke of lightning and it's going to happen. Uh, and it, it's from the outside in, not the inside out. The key transformation occurs from the inside out. Uh, exactly. And that's what I want you to speak about. Exactly. And that's what you get in the constellation. When you talk about that 
for some people it can take a while, but there are many people who will stand there and they're so willing to look and they're so willing to be there that it happens that quickly. And will it keep layering? Absolutely. Um, yes, everything is within, you know, the sages have said for how many centuries, everything you need is within you. It would just be nice if they'd explain that a little bit more so we didn't have to go internally dumpster diving. What they're saying is you've got your lineage, whether you know it or not, it's there. You can find it. You've got your patterns. You have your thoughts. You have your feelings. You have your actions. You have your mindsets. You have your truth. Only it's not the truth. It's simply your truth. And the minute you begin to change that one thought, one feeling, one action at a time, you can literally no longer have the same outcome in your life. And now you're also not reliving ancient history. You're creating current and future in a completely different way. So if you're going to sit and hope that a bolt of lightning comes out, I'm sure that that does for the 1% of the 1%. Maybe we're not that evolved yet. But I think what's most important is literally everybody can improve, elevate, and transform where they are now as long as they pay attention and as long as they really want it. Don't forget, for most of us, there's a, there's a really big sleep. Victimhood right now is very popular. And so if we're victims, we don't need to do anything because we could just kind of hang out. Everybody's a victim. So it's when you start to understand that life truly is an adventure and you truly can make it something that you love and are proud of, that you begin changing those thoughts from being just somebody in a whimsical universe that might or might not like you to a co-creating person in your own world. You are not a victim in your own well, world. I like the fact that you speak with them as truths versus beliefs. Um, you know, um, it becomes a knowing. You know, we have a knowing of what it is. Um, you mentioned that there are, that you're constantly telling clowns that over time, the details of events fade, but the symptoms get louder and louder until they're seen, they're resolved and integrated, which is what you're talking about when you do the constellation. Speak with us about limiting issues and being a powerful sign that something new is needed. Now, you've spoken a little bit about it, but it's kind of like maybe some people are aware of the limiting issues and others aren't even aware of the limiting issues because they're living in a world that is their world of beliefs and and thoughts and they're not able to kind of break through three through and they need something that tells them hey this is a limiting belief or this is a limiting thought or this is where i am um and they don't always see it right away any way for them to actually see it clearer faster quicker yeah I, i'm stuck i'm stuck here i can't do anything why? Well, because in this system, you're not allowed to. Really? Is that the truth? Or is it something that you've you've grown to believe? I, I keep saying to people, not challenge the truth, but really ask yourself about that. So um, in our family, everybody's bad at math. Really? When did that happen? Well, you know, I flunked on my first, uh, first grade yeah. test and dad said, don't worry, everybody's bad at math. Is that the truth? 
I well, yeah, when, no, you, when you say this, it's funny and hate to interrupt, but I remember my interviews with Byron Katie. And she always used to, you know, Byron Katie is right. Yeah. She used to say, is it true? Is it, it really true? Is it, re- is it really true? Because the person would come up on stage and they they she'd say to her, she said, Mom, my relationship's horrible. I'm, you know, everything's bad. I'm, you know, he's miserable. He treats me bad. She goes, Is it true? And then they think for a second and they go, Well, maybe not. So is it really, really true? <laughs> you know, so I think you're absolutely right. Is that we I could say we're in a world of MSU making stuff up and then we start believing the stuff that we made up and then we start living our lives around the stuff that we made up and especially the bad stuff yep the bad stuff and I don't know where my bumper sticker is but I have one I should put put it up I've done it before I got to find it again and it says you don't have to believe everything you think (laughs) I love that. I love that. It goes, I really love that. And it goes back to, no, you don't. And guess what? You're actually the magician in this picture, by the way. Right. When when people say, as you think, so it is, we look at that and go, yeah, that's an old thing. No, it's really, really so. If I think I'm stupid, hopeless, and dumb at math, am I even going to try? No, because right. I'm stupid and dumb at math. But if I'm stupid and dumb at math in my mind, and over there is that promotion I really love, but they want a math equivalent, I have a choice right now. I could undumb and start learning some of that math. Right. Yeah, it's it's really in our own hands. We like to think that we're victims. We also, by the way, and I wanted to come back to that, we love to think that suffering is sacred. And I got into big trouble for saying, no, it's not. If if you do it all the time, it's stupid, not sacred. You're not looking. Well, it's true that your book, Decoding Your Emotional Blueprint, is certainly an opportunity for people to dig into this. As I was going through the book, I saw so much wisdom and so much opportunity. And those stepping stones that you put at the end of each chapter are opportunities for people to actually take a deeper dive to really uh, dig into the work. And I want to close this up with, you know, you've got 25 of these systemic stepping stones within the book. If you were to leave the listeners with three ideas or thoughts to contemplate regarding decoding their emotional blueprint, what advice would you like to leave with them? What of these, you know, all these great chapters you've got, but if there were some true nuggets that you'd say, hey, here's what you could do. Because you always have now, every time we've talked, you've moved to action. So this is the action step in the interview. What is the action that they can take? Sure. So you're not a train wreck. I don't care where you are in your life. You are not a train wreck. Have a look at what what keeps coming at you all the time. What is the one that you say it's bad and here it comes again? And then look at it and ask it what it's trying to become. That's your first one. Sit down and ask yourself, how do I feel about the way it is? And if I could change this, what do I feel about that? And go through that process. So that would be one. Transformation is not for the chosen few. It's for anyone who chooses it at any time, at any age. You don't have to be a wise 80-year-old and you don't have to be a dying 99-year-old. At any age, transformation is yours if you choose it. How do you choose it? Have a look at all of the thoughts that you hold that are, this is a place that I love to uh, send people. The places you're the most dogmatic. 
are the places where your, your systems are trying to change, where you say, it is absolutely so, I will not budge off this. What happens if you do? Because on the other side of will not budge might be something absolutely remarkable. And then I think the third one for me, and I'll relate this to me, I was um, in South Africa, I was in the healthcare system. And one day I was in the, the lab and somebody walked in and said, hey, Bugs Bunny. And I had very buck teeth. And I can remember standing there thinking, you know, in two years time, this same person could come through that door and say the same thing. Or if I, instead of going, well, my smile's fine the way it is, just thought about how it could be. And I took myself off to the orthodontist today in two years time, that same person could come in and say, my goodness, you have a beautiful smile. Guess who went to the orthodontist that day? And, and it was amazing for me. That was the one. So take yourself beyond your, not your comfort zone, your complacency zone. Mm. look for the adventure don't ever settle for less than the adventure in your life you're doing yourself a terrible disservice because here's the deal if you want the adventure you can have it well and that applies to so many things that happen in our life from relationships to travel to business opportunities to ventures um it's there you know, I've some of the wisest sages have said, you know, as the boat floats down the stream, are you going to sit on the side of the stream and let the float boat go by? Or are you going to get on the boat and participate and ride the waves? Right. Yeah. And I and I think as an analogy, it's a great one because so many people are observers. You know, they're observers to the extent that they're complacent about it. They don't want to get on and ride it because they think that the raves might be too rough and they might fall out of the boat, right? And they've been told, you're small. We're all staying small. It's not about you. Only 1% of people ever get there. Only 1% of people ever make it because only 1% of people think that they can. Start being the 10 and 20% and let's, let's change that. Yeah, it's perfect. This book is perfect, Decoding Your Emotional Blueprint. We've been on with uh, Judy Wilkins-Smith. Um, Judy, thanks so much for spending time with our listeners at Inside Personal Growth and giving them an opportunity to understand more about their, I'm going to say, how to decode the DNA, the history that they bring along with them that they don't even realize is really happening and much of it is holding them back. Uh, and offering them the future and offering them a, an opportunity to transform the magic, the transformation. Uh, um, thank you so much. Namaste to you. Thank you for your time this morning. Appreciate it so much. Great interview and great opportunity to speak with you about your new book. Thank you. And Greg, thank you for the little bit of magic that you brought. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.